0: So here we are, in week three of our series, entitled, I Once Believed, Reframing a Traditional Christmas... Christmas. Reframing a Traditional Christian Past. We might get to Christmas eventually. The words and concepts of God. So the spiritual life is a life in search of meaning. We're constantly looking, seeking, finding, still discovering, and then the whole cycle continues over and over again. I would say that that is my definition of faith, is a search for meaning. Uh, It's never fully knowing, never arriving at a destination, but always looking. And at the same time, grieving what we have to leave behind, the comforts, the easy answers, the things that once worked for us, while also feeling the elations, the celebrations, the new ideas that we discover along the way. It can be as one of you who wrote to me, not saying who, but I think she lit the candle this morning. She said to me this week, it's like opening the window and letting in the air and the light. It's a constant exploration. Now, I recognize the challenge of this series. Uh, it It is for me as well. Uh, if I had hair, I wouldn't anymore. But in the end, uh, I'm hearing from you that this is helpful because when we visit these topics, we bring these thoughts, the ideas, the emotions, some of the things that we've thought of really since childhood, we bring them to the surface and acknowledge them. So... Again, thank you for your stories that you're sharing with me. And we acknowledge our grief that many of us have for, for what was or, or maybe the, the way it, it felt easier in the past to address the pain that might be still there and to find a future that works for each of us. We celebrate that there is no one answer. That's what makes it delightful. That's also what, it, what makes it so difficult. Marcus Borg once started a speaking session uh, to a group of people with this question. What do we have in mind when we say or hear the word God? This is uh, a great way to start, but what a difficult question that is. Many of us have evolved in how we would answer that question over the course of our lives. Um, But again, we're all in different places. So some of us feel a sense that maybe we're in a different place now than we were before with, with how we treat that question. What do we have in mind when we say the word God? Some of us have an image or an idea that was formed a long time ago and we might be comfortable with it. We might be entirely uncomfortable with it. A long time ago, we stuck that idea on the bulletin board of our brains and we said, that's a big question. Maybe we'll get to that some other time. Let's just leave it there. It's in the to-do list. I don't have time to examine all that there is in that question. Tack it up there for another time. Or some of us don't quite know how to answer that question and have fallen into a healthy or unhealthy, depends on who you are, agnosticism, okay with the mystery of it all. I don't have to know the answers, it's a mystery, and we'll just be content not to know, and we'll leave it there. Or, some of us had an answer to that question from long ago and know that it doesn't work anymore, and we have a big question mark, and it eats at us a little bit, and we think, Whatever will fill that place, whatever will be my new answer, and we're not sure what it is. We we are everyone and everywhere on on this, and that's okay. So we're going to take a trek, uh, and I apologize in advance. We're going to take a trek through history. A short one? Well, no, it's not short. <laughs> I don't want to set you up for failure here it, it, it's short in the grand comparison of people who have written whole books on the subject but um in doing that we hope to address some of what you've shared with me some of the challenges uh that we wrestle with so deeply about this question and and when i say it's a sketch of history i really mean that i can't stress enough how much i'm not going to say i you know if you want the history of God, read Karen Armstrong. She did a lovely book about it. It's thick, and um, along with you know countless other authors uh, that have written about this. And check the reading list, by the way, that our amazing librarians have put together in our e-messenger for this series of books they recommend. You know to continue our thinking about all these things. Okay, so maybe it goes without saying, but nobody knows when the first concepts of god arose for humanity i mean (laughs) uh we shouldn't really go back so far but we're learning more about indigenous spirituality as we took a moment uh reminding ourselves of how connected we are to to nature this morning The ideas of the great spirit or nature mother or great mystery. The respect of a power or being that has created the world and everything in it. So we're learning more about that as we open ourselves to that. We know from mythologies the world over that the stories uh, exist of of powerful unseen beings created by the human imagination in the ancient past to explain the mysterious phenomena of what it means to be alive alive in this big world. Beings in charge of everything. A sun god, an agriculture god, a god in charge of love, of night, of war, of fertility, you name it. A way to understand what was going on in the world and explain the human experience. And two terms eventually boiled to the surface of what to call these beings. Spirits, because they were like powerful and invisible winds, and and so that seemed like a good word for them. And gods. Through this stage, the word God was used, though, as an abstract noun, a generic term, a common noun, not referring specifically to one particular being of these powerful ones, but just a collective noun to to talk about all of them. If we could zoom ahead then to the Hebrew faith, the focus early on was in setting themselves apart and choosing one, choosing one of these many gods to be their God. This is our nation's God that is theirs. And so eventually, as monotheism took hold, in this ancient Hebrew context, they selected the name. Uh, they selected the God with the name Elohim or Yahweh. And as as their national identity grew, so too the word God would evolve from this generic noun that just described all of these kind of beings into the proper name for the Hebrew, the proper name of the Hebrew one God. This God now was one who was conceived of as having personal qualities valued as ultimate concerns to humans, but magnified. This is, this is the way humans always imagine their gods. With human qualities, but bigger. Human qualities, but more powerful. And so we read in sacred texts like the Bible we read sometimes horrific things because they wrote of their God unabashedly and unashamed with human qualities. They figured if we feel things like this, then their God or gods must feel these things, but bigger. So without embarrassment, they have God being angry, pleased, repenting, changing their mind, laughing, punishing, rewarding, and so on. And now this wasn't just one of the gods. This was God as a proper noun with a capital G. That became the name. Elohim and Yahweh kind of faded away, and God with a capital G became the supreme supernatural being. I know this is, this is boring old stuff, right? <laughs> uh, we're going to fast forward really quick. The prophets had some things to say. They, they brought with that kind of relationship a real connection to humanity with the gods. Like not just some kind of separate beings, but the prophets kind of started talking about uh, God with a capital G as someone in relationship with humans, that there were people who could actually communicate with them. There were, there were communities built on this relationship. And that happened into the beginnings of Christianity too, which was borrowing heavily from what was happening in the Hebrew faith. So now fast forward again. This is real quick. Through much of that theistic one God in charge, in control of all things for all time that settled in, And it varied through the centuries, but again, we're not going to talk in too much detail. But I want to talk about the 19th century. Because all of a sudden, the West started secularizing. Europe was starting to move away from churches, away from Christianity. And with the secularization of the West, thinkers and writers... Frederick Nietzsche was one example, started effectively saying that this Abrahamic one God that served the Hebrew faith, that served the Christian faith, that that God was dead. The God who had served as the basis for meaning and value for all of society for more than a thousand years, for more, maybe more than that, was dying and was dead. Now, that was shocking at the time, but that shouldn't shock us from our perspective now because we see that ideas and understandings of God are born and die all the time. And I want to stop right here in this little dry history to acknowledge the pain and the grief involved in coming face-to-face with the death of God. And by that I mean when our understanding of who or what God is changes, or when we discover that the understanding we once held no longer fits for us. During my theological education, I worked as a chaplain at a trauma hospital. Uh, And this doesn't happen so much uh, here in Canada, but in the States where I was doing this work, the chaplain was present, uh, much to my chagrin, at every ER trauma that came into the trauma hospital. And when I say present, I mean like fully gowned with the medical team, meeting the stretcher at the door, all the way into the room, working on the patient, and then it was our job as chaplains to contact family and bring them to the, get them to the hospital. And when they arrived, meet them, be their source of contact, wait with them until the medical team could speak to them, sit with them through that process, and then help them when the doctors and nurses got to leave that room and the fallout that occurred afterward. It was excruciatingly tragic and difficult work. Um, But I remember one woman very well. She's etched in my brain. She was the mother of a motorcycle crash victim. And after a week of her son in the hospital, having multiple surgeries, she called me into her son's room, and she said to me as plain as anything, and this is as close as I can remember to her words, she said, I thought God was in charge. I was taught that if we were good and faithful that nothing bad would happen. And then earlier this week she said I thought that maybe we've done something wrong to deserve this. Yeah. And she said now 8 days after this accident I think that all of that is just shit. What was I thinking? None of that makes any sense to me anymore, she said. How could I have been so stupid? If I'd thought about it for one second, I'd have realized that I was living a fantasy. But I'm scared. Because that's the only God I've ever known. And I don't know what to do. It is disorienting and agonizing when our convictions and our beliefs are tested by real life. Real emotion, real pain, real fear, real heartbreak. These are moments when all the reading of the library list books and all the thinking in the world doesn't prepare you for the harsh and too real moments of life. And I'm putting in my vote... To simply care for each other and listen and be present with one another when pain hits someone we know. It is really easy to want to offer cliches when someone is in pain. And it's also really easy to say to someone, how about if you think about your whole world view in this way instead? It's not time for that in the midst of pain. It's just time for crying and waiting and finding solace in whatever ways we can. So, I want to quote my good friend Greta Vosper. She wrote a book once called With or Without God. And she wrote these words. When we see how theistic concepts of God, meaning the one God in charge of all things. When we see how theistic concepts of God developed over time to help humanity cope with the random nature of pain, suffering, and blessing. Even if it doesn't work for us anymore. That work of humanity can't be trivialized. It may be that we would never have survived as a species without such an understanding. We needed, during our struggles with an environment that was more often hostile than not, a vision for our future for our children and ourselves that we believed might be possible. The fact that our ancestors created an understanding of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God gave us a belief in that future. It may have been the only thing that gave us strength to survive. It speaks of the creative strength of the human species. In circles like SSUC, we, we, have, we run the risk of saying, we want to reject some of all of this old traditional stuff, but we sometimes forget to recognize that it has seen people through greatly hard times. And let's not to forget, too, what liberation and developing world theologians would say to us they would look at us and they would say that there are plenty of people right now, millions in fact, living on this planet who have little hope except for a God that takes their side against insurmountable foes like hunger and poverty, violence and war. That we can reject that concept for ourselves is a measure of our privilege. I always like the parables that make plain that we all have different needs at different times, and here's one of them. It's about a monkey. A monkey was lifting a fish from the water and placing it in a tree. What on earth are you doing, the monkey was asked. I'm saving it from drowning, was the reply. And the moral that goes along with this little parable reads, the sun that gives sight to the eagle blinds the owl. We're all living in different times on this planet, in different places. And who knows what we need when? For those of you that grew up, Pam is moving to the piano, which must mean she thinks I'm almost done. Well, you're wrong, Pam. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Just joking. I'm halfway there. Okay. For those of you that grew up in in traditional Christianity, uh, what I've said, or evangelical Christianity, what I'm saying up till now might ring very familiar. But I also want to turn to what might be a closer understanding for those of you who grew up in more liberal, mainline uh, understandings. Um, Paul Tillich. Uh, Can I just say one word or a few about Paul Tillich? He's one of the most creative theologians of the 20th century. He's no longer with us. He offered a different view of God as something other than a supreme, supernatural being. Instead, he suggested that God was a word that referred to being itself. Many of us may be familiar with, with, a, with a phrase he coined uh, as God being the ground of all being. Rather than God as a being, God is being Itself. And not to use another fish metaphor, but really, it, it, in other words, he's saying, we are, uh, we are in God like a fish is in water, that all of, all of this is God. Something made real in the reality of all that's around us. So Tillich acknowledged that God is a human-created concept, which was uh, pretty radical for his time in the early 20th century, mid, early to mid-20th century. Um... God is a symbolic term that can only be talked about in language that is symbol and metaphor. That was a bit of a turning point, I think, in the 20th century. Many of us were raised with this metaphoric belief that can be summed up, I think, in one phrase, and I think you probably all know it. It's that God is love. Love is not an object... So if one is going to think about God not being out there, up there, or maybe even in here somewhere, a separate being, then a metaphor that's been well used is the idea of love. Colby Martin in his book, The Shift, Surviving and Thriving After Moving from Conservative to Progressive Christianity, yeah. describes it this way. He says, one can conceptualize God as, of God as that which calls us, summons us, and invites us. Love is a good example. Love beckons, love invites, love inspires. Love calls us to fight for the marginalized, march for the oppressed, seek the liberation of those on the underside of empire. God isn't in the sky saying, go love. Rather, when I go love my neighbor, this is me responding to the summons and the reality of love. In this way, insert whatever word you want, whatever value or ideal you like, and that insistence or the reminder to live with integrity or inclusivity or compassion or responsibility, name any value you like, these are the impulses and events that Colby Martin would define as God. I'm adding to that a caveat. The challenge with using any metaphor is that an, unless we are constantly explaining the metaphor, it very quickly gets concretized. It, it gets made concrete. I'll give you an example. If, if I say to you, uh, church, every time I say God, it's going to mean love. Just do the little switch in your mind. Many of us, by the way, have been living our whole lives doing switches when we hear traditional church language and saying, well, for me, that means click. Now, if I say to you that one time, whenever I say God, I mean love, then the danger is next week I don't explain it. There's a whole new set of people in the room, and I say God. Well, they think, well, he means that old traditional God in the sky kind of old man with a gray beard kind of gone, right? Right? No. yes it's very confusing if you're going to talk in metaphors call it a metaphor that's the danger how else do we reframe this is about reframing right this whole series is about looking at also new ways of understanding so some reframe these ideas of god pondering if it wouldn't be better to say that god is more like a verb than a noun god is what you do so it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you describe it. It's it's what you do in your life. In some ways, we live this out too, don't we? We say uh, our actions are our prayers. We say what we it, it matters how we behave, how we interact with the world. That's what shows our faith. And by faith, I mean our search for meaning. Remember. others reframe the concept of god as the more more affirming that there's much more to the universe than we know or perhaps can know and yes we live in a physical rational scientifically verifiable world but we equally live in a world where we need to talk about the subjective our direct experience the things we know are true because they happen in the world And we feel a certain way about them. Something more than we can put our hands on. And then, you know I'm getting to the end when I'm talking about non-realists. More recent authors take this idea even further and they take a non-realist understanding of the language and images of God. God is the mythical embodiment of all that one's concerned about in life. So... Not just God is love or justice or respect, but everything that is important to us as positive values, everything that we would center our lives on, everything that we could not live our lives without, that are central. These are the quote unquote things of God. In other words, let God be the name of the highest reality. You can conceive. That's Don Cupid, by the way. If you're taking notes, or like Gearing and Vosper and others, uh, we may understand the vital importance of living according to our values. That comes out of that non-realist tradition, but need not put them into a god box, and that's fine. These, uh, if if we're thinking this way, then then we think, well, there's no need for that extra layer. If it's about what we do, the actions we take, and, and the values we center and act in our lives, then there's no need to call that anything other than living our values or whatever we'd call it. So let's just say what we say, that we want to live and the ways we want to live, and there's no need to tie that to a word at all, being it three letters or otherwise. So I want to take the last bit Of this time to talk about expansiveness thanks for your patience by the way to be expansive means that we need not give up our search for meaning or our aspiration for goodness when we give up either the understandings of God from the past or the concept of God altogether the two are not related To be expansive means we can still have a search for meaning. We can still have faith in our aspirations for goodness despite what our understandings of that word, that concept of God is. How I try, how we try to treat the spiritual journey among us at SSUC, you don't hear the word God very much, if at all. And there's a reason for that. And for those of you who are newer to us, many of you who are online, I think, some of you have asked me, what does it mean that you don't say these words? We have such a socialized, culturally ingrained definition of that word just turn on TV or a a movie or just have a conversation with someone that's not part of our church bubble. And we recognize that that word has a meaning in our culture. You might call it either inherited wisdom of our culture or you might call it baggage, depending on on your view. But by using language that is open, that is more neutral, You, you are able to bring what you need to it. If it's a more traditional understanding that works for you, then when we sing uh, Spirit of Gentleness, you will interpret what that means as what you need. If you are an atheist or if you have no need to call that God, then when you hear Spirit of Gentleness, you will bring to it something that's meaningful to you what it means to be expansive is not to exclude based on the language we use we need to be as open as possible and we don't always get it right but as open as possible that you as the people of faith meaning seekers can bring what you need to that It's only in that way that we can stretch for new meaning and new ideas and new endeavors. To be expansive means we leave room for your journey and make space for what we each need. I started out today by saying that we are all of us in search of meaning, and that is the spiritual endeavor. It's a constant exploration, requiring constant opening to find new layers, new ideas, fresh thoughts. And it may mean setting aside the old. And it for sure will mean excitement, confusion, elation, grief, hope, despair. And so goes the spiritual walk. That is its reality. So my message is really one of encouragement, if you're still awake. For us to continue the process of living in tune with our own selves, with friend and stranger, with the planet. Whatever images, whatever values, whatever concepts help you to do that, then we celebrate them. Isn't that what it would mean to continue opening ourselves to the diversity and movement of our thoughts and our actions? That's what it means. That's the spirituality we're after. Everything else can come and go. Words, definitions, ideas. Let them come, let them go. Let them be born, let them die. But let's affirm our connection to all that is. And the values that keep us living the lives that will make our communities better. May we live and work to make it so.